0: I'm pulling my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Okay. So often on the show, I talk all about our successes, but sometimes I need to talk about our failures. So today, i want to talk about an early version of our attempt to teach people magic that failed and failed miserably. So today, I'm going to talk about something called the arc system. So my guess is most of you listening are going the Ark System. Where in the world is the Ark System? Well, that's what I'm going to talk about it today because it's a, a long lost piece of Magic's past that I would like to discuss. Um, okay, so let's go back to 1998. So the idea was we were trying. So if you ever look on the back of a Magic card, uh, there's a little box that says Deck Master. Uh, and for those that are unfamiliar, when we first when Magic was first created, Wizard of the Coast not only believed that Magic was going to be a hit but believed they had stumbled upon trading card games, and that trading card games as a whole category was going to be a giant hit. And they wanted to be the leader in trading card games. So what they did is they branded them and said, okay, we're going to have the Deckmaster brand of trading card games, and that way people will know it's a quality trading card game. So... Um, We actually ended up making, I think, four games, or three games other than Magic, that fell under the Deckmaster brand, if you you will. Um, We made Jihad, a.k.a. Vampire the Eternal Struggle, based on Vampire the Eternal Struggle, the um, role-playing game. Uh, Then there was Netrunner, and then there was Battletech. So it turns out all three of the IPs we're talking about, IP stands for intellectual property, all three of the IPs we're talking about stem from um, role-playing. Because what happened was, Wizards of the Coast in its early days was a role-playing company. Peter Atkinson, which was the co-founder and original CEO, was a role-player. He loved role-playing, and the people he knew in the industry were role-playing people. So when he saw that were, he believed Magic was going to be a hit and trading card games were going to be a hit, he went out and got licenses from the people he could get them from, which were role-playing. Now, Magic would go on, or I should say, Wizards would go on to make lots of role-playing games. We made the Harry Potter role-playing game, and the Major League Baseball role-playing game, and the Star Wars role-playing game... Not role-playing. Sorry, uh, trading card game. We made trading card games for all sorts of different things. We even had, like, a Simpsons trading card game. We, we've made a lot of trading card games. None of them have ever quite been at the level of Magic, and the Deckmaster brand slowly fell by the wayside. But, back in 1998, this hasn't happened yet. We're still optimistic. Um, and the idea was, they wanted to introduce people to Magic... And not just magic, but trading card games in general. They are really interested in introducing the world to trading card games. Because trading card games are complex. So there was, it was a two-pronged approach. Um, and as I explained the ARC system, the ARC system is a good example of a really good idea in concept and a flawed idea in execution. So I'm going to talk about sort of the ideal of what we were hoping to do and then some of the problems we had in trying to do it. Okay, so the thing is, they want a okay, two-pronged solution. Number one is, they needed it to be simpler. Magic is, it's complex. And they're like, okay, if we want to appeal to a slightly larger group, we need to make it a little bit simpler, and then people who could learn first, it's a stepping stone to get you then play magic. Um, this has often been early in our strategies of trying to get people to play magic. We often had this strategy of, let's teach magic at the lowest possible level, you know, the, the most things taken out of it to make it as simple as possible to help people learn. Um the thing that follows the arc system, which was called Portal, which I will do on a different on a different podcast one day, um had the same sort of thing of let's make it simpler to help people get in. Um we've since learned by the way that one of our big mistakes in trying to teach people how to play is that we simplify so much that people don't see the coolness of what is magic, meaning the depth is there's an attractiveness to the depth. And that sometimes we strip away so much you can't see what's cool about it, you know. We've done things where we've taught people, and like, oh, okay, that seems like an okay game, yeah. And like, they don't see the depth in it, which is a lot of the draw of magic, of like, wow, there's all these possibilities, all these different things you can do. Um, the second thing is, beside making it simpler, they wanted to sort of get to other IPs. Meaning, one of the ways to get somebody to play something, I mean... If you're a gamer, maybe you get to play because you hear it's a good game. But another way might just be, let's say, for example, you make a trading card game based on The Terminator, or on Star Wars, or on Batman, or on whatever. Name your license. Well, people who like that thing could go, oh, I like that thing. I'm interested in trying a game that's the thing I like, the IP I like, that, you know, this is a, a series of characters and things that I enjoy. Oh, maybe I'll try to play a game. And the idea behind the Eric system was that, Imagine for example somebody we, we would go out and get licenses and then for each license we would make a game that could play unto itself that if you want to play the terminator game you play the terminator game and play with your friends and be John Connor and you know you could um or be the terminator um you could be whatever you wanted to be you could make the cards of the IP that you cared about and play the game but the cool thing was let's say your friend and he's not in terminator he's in batman so he buys the batman game but you could take your terminator deck and play against your friend's batman deck that was kind of the, the idea, was, you know, we'd have all these different licenses, and it would just be, you know, we're a trading card game company, well, it would be, uh, we, this would allow us to make lots and lots of licenses, and that we could plug licenses into the system, and then all the different licenses could work together. And that was considered to be very attractive. Uh, I mean, it's a cool concept, like I said. the the this is Today is really a lesson of the difference between concept and execution. The concept was a really cool concept. If we could have made it work, it actually would have been really neat. We stumbled along the way. Okay, so the next thing was, okay, so we have to make it simpler, and we need to go out and show how it can be done through many different media. So let's talk about that. So first thing to do is make it simpler. Okay, so what happened was a bunch of people got together, um, a, basically magic people, people with wizards, um, and it was a lot of the people that had worked on magic early on. What had happened was when I came there in 95 uh, was sort of the old guard shifted to the, the next guard. I was talk about me being the second wave of R&D. Um, so a lot of the first wave people who had, had gone on from Magic were very interested in sort of creating the system that... Because once again, it wasn't just an intro to Magic. It was part of it. But it was also just doing trading card games and, and more IPs and more different things. So uh, like Scaff and Jim Lynn, a lot of the sort of the early Magic people that were part of the first wave of r d were very, very involved in making the ARC system. I, w- I was not horribly involved in it. I I, I got a watch from afar, and I, I definitely have some stories from being there, but I, I was not intricately involved in it. Because at the time, I was making magic. So, okay. So, first thing they did is they cut down from five colors to three colors. So, no black, no white. It just had red, green, and blue. Um, the next thing they did is they cut down from a whole bunch of card types down to four card types. I, I think magic at the time had seven card types. Uh, at the time, there was interrupts, which went away. Um, And then Magic would later pick up Planeswalker. So Magic, most of his life, has had seven card types. I guess eight if you count tribal. But I don't count tribal anymore, so. Anyway, um, this had four card types. So the card types were action, resource, character, and combat. So if you notice, by the way, A, R, and C... So, originally, combat wasn't one of the cards. Originally, it was just three card types, which would be action, resource, and combat. So, if you look at that, by the way, A-R-C, the ARC system, which was a capital A, a capital R, a capital C, stood for the three card types that originally were going to be in it. Um, now, it's interesting. When, I, when I've done this podcast, I went to do some research to figure out what—the ARC system, it's all capitalized. I'm like, oh, it's got to represent something. It, it, it looks like an acronym. And nobody at Wizards—I I mean, talked to all the old-timers like, okay, what does ARC system stand for? And nobody could say what it stood for. So I, I finally had someone help me do some research. And it turns out uh, it was named after the three card types that are originally in it. Then, while they were creating it, they realized they needed a fourth card type, uh, which was combat. But that also started with a C. So it's like A-R-C-C. It's the ARC. Uh, anyway, uh, the ARC system. So let's talk about the, what they did. So uh, action, resource, character, combat. Okay, so resources land. Lands worked very similarly to the way they work in normal magic. The only difference is um, you had a number on it. There was no colored mana. It just had a number. And what a number meant is let's say it said six, it was on a red card. What that said is you have to tap six resources, um, and the game did have tapping. Uh, um, uh, Deckmaster tapping was part of Deckmaster, not just part of magic. So it it did have tapping. Um, You would have to tap six lands, or sorry, six resources, um, but one of them had to be red. That's what six on a red card meant. Five on a green card meant you have to have five resources, one of which must be green. So there's no double mana. There's no. It, all, all it said is I have red or I don't have red. Not I have so much red. Um, okay, C was for character. Character were the creatures. The creatures were similar, uh, a little bit simpler in the sense that there was a less going on. There wasn't static abilities as much, Um Creatures tended to uh, either do something when when you played them, or they did something when you attacked with them. So basically, they were they had a triggered effect. Either um, they could have an ability. There were there were some creature abilities. I'll get to that in a second. Um, but they tended to either have a creature ability, or they had a, an enter the battlefield effect, or they had a um, win attack effect. So they were either triggered, or they had a basic abilities, and sometimes more than one. Um, and then they didn't have power and toughness. They had a combined power-toughness. It's called power, but there was just one number. So essentially everything had square stats. Um, that you, Either you were a 1-1 one, one, or a 2-2 or a 3-3. I mean, they were just, you we didn't write out 1-1. You're one, just a 1 or 2 or 3. Um, and they didn't use the term toughness. It was just power. Um, as far as creature abilities goes, one of the things they tried to do was... Um, one of the ideas is different games would use different mechanics... If you kind of think of how Magic has a few evergreen mechanics and then has, um, you know, every block would have its own mechanics. The idea was every game would have a few, there'd be a few, there are a few evergreen mechanics that went between all the games, but only a few. And then most of them, you know, Death Touch might be in one game, but not in another game. And, um... So they, we, we, they divided all the different abilities that Magic had and then decided who would go where. Like Maybe Vigilance was just in one game. You know, um, I don't remember exactly which ones were in all the games. I know there was a Flying. It wasn't called Flying, though. Uh, it had a much worse name than Flying. I, I forget what it was. Um, but anyway, so the idea was different games would have different mechanics. Okay, now we get to action and combat cards. So the game had two phases. had an action phase and a combat phase. So the action phase, you could cast any spells out of your hand. Um, The combat phase, you could—or I'm sorry, you could cast any action—well, you could cast any action or character card out of your hand. So actions were sorcerers, essentially, uh, and then characters were creatures. Um, So during the action phase, you can cast any actions or any characters you want. Then during the um, combat phase, you would attack, and then you could cast combat spells during the combat phase, but you could cast it during any combat phase. So the idea was there were instants in the game, but they were reduced to only being during combat. So giant growth existed, but um, counter spells didn't exist. You know, there was no defensive kind of magic. You couldn't cast any spells in response to sorceries or anything. You could just do them in combat. And the idea was, okay, we have our one phase where we can cast things. We have our combat phase where you can do the instants, if you will, but it's only combat related. Um, there was no second phase after combat, meaning everything had to be done before you attack, So people knew what spells you had done before you attack. The surprise would be in the combat spells. Um, So, the, um, so, like, one of the things that you can see here is at every level they just try to simplify things. They simplified the mana resource, they simplified the creatures, they simplified the casting spells, they simplified the, um, the combat, how combat worked. Um, so, the, and there, there was nothing else. There was no global things. There were no enchantments. There were no artifacts. Um, there were no interrupt sort of things in the sense of, like, um, I don't remember how the combat, like, like, there was an instant thing, but it, however magic worked at the time is how it worked. Um, I'm not sure if the stack, the, 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 you know, the stack did exist by 98, so this probably used the stack. The stack did exist by 98. So my guess is, yes, it just used the stack. Okay, so... Um, Oh, another big difference is the victory condition. So in magic, you have 20 life. and When you get your opponent from 20 down to 0, you win. In the arc system, there was no life total. What happened was, whenever you did damage to the opponent, um, you milled cards, meaning you took cards from the top of the library and put it into the graveyard. Uh, it was called deck and discard pile. I'm just using, I will fall into magic terminology if I'm talking to a magic audience. But um, that, so essentially, whenever you would do damage, for every point of damage you did, you milled them. Um, and so what happened was, there was no... Uh, the attractiveness of it was there was no... You didn't have to track anything. It was just all in the deck. Um, and so as you would hit them, you would mill them. And that was like, when you ran out of cards, that's when you lost. Um, and so it was sort of... Uh, so the, uh, the game had 40 card decks. Um, you could only have two of every card. And I believe you could only have one of what they called unique cards. Um, unique cards, I think, was only on characters. And they represented actual Characters. I mean, the unique characters. They weren't just guard. They were Bob Jones or whatever. They were an actual character, and you could only have one of them. Um, they functioned a lot like legendary characters did at the time, which I believe was um, you could only have one in your deck, and when you played it, it destroyed the other. So the way to get rid of the opponent's character was to play your own character, a uh, unique character. The way to get rid of their unique characters, to play your own unique character, and then it would destroy both of them. That's how, how legends, legendary creatures worked in magic back in the day. Okay, so is that, I think they teach you all the, uh, um, yes, I think I, so that is the mechanics. Okay, so now let me talk about uh, the presentation. Okay, so the presentation was they wanted to demonstrate that there was a lot of different games, and I can make games in one, you know, I can make, that there's a game for this IP and that IP. So they decided that uh, for some reason, um, it was decided that first off, we wanted to have an original IP. That Magic had its own IP, so that we're going to start this by having our own IP and starting the game out of something that we own. So, what we did is we went to a man named Jim Lee, who is a very famous comic book person. Uh, he's more known as an artist, but he's also a writer. So, we hired him to make our. He made a comic that we would own, that we would make a game out of, that was unique to us. And it was called C23. I think the 20, the C, and the twenty-three stood for chromosomes. Um, I, don't, I don't remember the story really well. It was a science fiction story. It had something to do with uh, soldiers and I think aliens, but maybe they were clones. Maybe they're clones and aliens because C twenty-three. Um, the one here's the one thing I do remember. The main character was named Corbin. I realized. and he had a friend. First episode, he had a friend named Nemesis, and then oh my goodness. He's betrayed by his best friend, who becomes his enemy, Nemesis. And I, I just go, why would you befriend a guy named Nemesis? Like, hey, how you doing? Hi. You seem like a nice guy. What's your name? Nemesis. Yeah, I think we're going to move on here. I M- mean, Maybe, uh, like, don't befriend a guy named Nemesis, R- really. I mean, I think Corbin had to come into him, because uh, comics tend to put names a little on the nose, but I, I just thought it funny. That if you're going to, if the character's going to start as the friend of the main character, perhaps, maybe he could change his name to Nemesis. Maybe his name is Bob, and then after, like, he, he feels betrayed and becomes his enemy, he goes, I'm no longer Bob, I am now Nemesis. But anyway, just being Nemesis, I feel like Corbin really, Corbin kind of deserves it, that when you befriend Nemesis and he betrays you, like, come on. I mean, he was being, he was being as open and honest as he could about what was going to happen. Okay, so we had C-23 then we said, okay, now we need to have some other IPs that are real IPs that aren't our IP. So, somebody at the time was a real big fan. There was a... So, um, what, so the way television works, a little, little background television is, uh, most television is done through networks. So, uh, it could be a normal network like NBC or CBS. I'm talking American networks. So, anybody who's not from America, I apologize real quickly. Or it could be on a cable network like... Uh, you know, MTV or the Comedy Comedy Network or TNT or, you know, Lifetime, that there's different networks and the networks tend to produce their own shows normally. So most of the time it's like, oh, if I'm watching this network at this time on this day, this show goes on. But there's something that's called first-run syndication. Well, in fact, there's something called syndication. What syndication means is I sell shows uh, individual market-to-market. means in Seattle, maybe the CBS affiliate is the one who's running this. Maybe in uh, Minneapolis, it's the NBC affiliate. And in New York, it's the, you know, an independent affiliate. So the idea is you sell them shows. Now, normally syndication are old shows. They're shows that are reruns. It's Seinfeld. It's Roseanne. It's Taxi. It's whatever old show. Or, you know, um, usually sitcoms syndicate better, but also could be... You know, Magnum P.I., or whatever. So old shows that people like to watch that get syndicated. Now, a first-run syndication show means you've made a show originally, show, it had been shown nowhere, and for the first time you sell it through syndication. Um, back in the day, um, with the proliferation of networks in the last 10 years, the first-run syndication has changed quite a bit. You don't see it quite as much as you used to. It still exists, but it's not quite as prevalent as it once was. Anyway, there was two shows. There's a show called... Hercules the Legendary Journey, which was about Hercules of, of Greek and Roman mythological fame, and he was out, I don't know, doing his, his, his labors, I, I'm not sure what he, I, I don't remember exactly, but he was, he was wandering Greece slash Rome, I, forget, I think the show was set in Greece, he was wandering Greece and doing things and interfering with gods and I don't know, doing the things that you do in Greek mythology. Um, and the show was very popular. It started a guy named Kevin Sorbo. Um, and then there was a character on the show who I think was an evil princess who on her third episode was supposed to die, but the audience loved her so much that they ended up spinning her off into a show called Xena, Princess Warrior, played by Lucy Lawless. Um, so Hercules and Xena were two... Um, here's the interesting thing. Because they were first-run syndication, um, they had some popularity. They were never super popular, They were they were definitely cult shows that had a strong following, Um, but uh, without being on a network and a consistency of knowing when and where to find them, it's hard to have the the numbers of of a a sort of major major hit. Um, But anyway, it had a following. By the time we got to them, um, it was a little later into their run. They weren't like there definitely was a peak where they were very popular shows, and we kind of got to them, and they had been a little a little bit past their peak. Although, there were people in Wizards who were huge fans of the show, and so they were very excited. And so, so what happened was, in May of 1998, we came out with our first game, which was C-23, our first Arc System game. In June of 1998, we came out with our second game, which was Xena, Princess Warrior. Xena, at the time, had become... Xena had come out and become more popular than, than Hercules. So, we had Xena be our first one. And then, third was Hercules, The Legendary Journey. Came out in um, July of 1998. Um... I believe at some point we... So, uh, C23 originally had 163 cards, and Xena and Hercules each had 180 cards. We would later, I forget when it happened, but maybe later that year, came out with a... Xena is the only one we came out with an expansion for. It was 75 cards. It's called Xena Battlecry. Um... I think the reason we came out with this, we had already made it. We had planned to have expansions, and I think we... So, okay, let me, let, let me talk a little bit about history. Um... Why why the arc system failed? The arc system failed, I think, for a couple reasons, Um, and we're going to walk through those. Um, Okay, so number one is, um, let me talk a little bit about distribution. So in 1998, uh, I'm talking about May, June, July. In uh, the fall of 1998, we were purchased by Hasbro. So uh, at this point, we were our own company. Uh, We weren't owned by anybody. And um, we had gotten really good. The the channel that we were very close with was the Hobby Game Channel, which means game stores and and card shops. But the people who, they were individual stores that either sold games or sold trading cards or sold something that made sense that they were selling magic. Um, And so we had distributors, and we were very close to that audience, um, at the time, we were much less, we had much less of a, of a channel to what we call mass market. We had some, but not nearly what we have today, for example. Um, so what happened was, uh, when I say mass market, I mean the, the Targets and Walmarts. And, and the, you know, you're not selling to one store, you're selling to a giant chain of stores. And the first problem was the kind of game we were trying to be was we were trying to appeal to a much more casual style of player. And so, the um not having the expertise in mass market that we needed really made it hard for us to um get the game where it needed to be, so the first big mistake was we really had a hard time getting the game to where it needed to go. That was mistake number one um mistake number two was we. In simplifying the game, I think we sort of lost some of the charm of what made a trading card game fun. For example, um, we took the color wheel and we combined, we took it from five colors down to three colors. We simplified it. But the problem was, one of the big advantages of the color pie in Magic is it means something. That the colors have meaning and that they have a relationship with each other and there's allies and enemies and 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 Richard it worked really hard and we worked very really hard you know to build on that that blue made sense and it had things that all came together but when you condensed it from f- five cards to three well you had to take things that were in the two colors that weren't didn't exist and find places to put them and so it just wasn't quite as organic it was like like i said when i talked about the magic cards i explained what blue, blue represented well in in the arc system like blue had to do with resource manipulation you know, and it definitely was the color that was the sneakiest of the three. Um, basically, the idea was red was more direct, damagey, that more just dis- destroyed things, and green was a little more creaturey, had better had the better creature curve, and blue a little more uh, management of resources. So they kind of followed what they did in Magic, but it didn't have the same output. It did It wasn't quite like um, here is a color wheel that has a, an emotional resonance to it, and, and there's relationships. And so in cutting down that, it sort of lost something. Um, and the same things like for example, in the decision to instead of having a life total mill, um, the problem there was they made it simpler and it's a little more elegant from a design standpoint. There's no need for extra things or for a pencil or you know it, it it kind of consolidated everything. But the problem was, and we already know this about milling is psychologically beginning players like milling they they but there is a downside to milling, which is, when I mill my opponent and they lose their shiv and dragon, they lose some card they care about, it is very hard because, wow, you killed their shiv and dragon. Now, if you understand the more advanced game theory, look, there are, the, the shiv and dragon could have been on the bottom of your library. I just wasn't going to get access to it. But the problem psychologically is, no, 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 it was there. I was going to draw it. You kept me from drawing it. I've lost it. I don't have it now. Um... And having that built into the game, having it a little bit of magic is fun. Having every once in a while that happens is okay. Having that be a part of every single game psychologically is a little daunting. Um, Because every time you lose something, it's not just like, oh, I lost two points. Oh, what did I lose? And so it really kind of didn't, it had a little more of a strong psychological impact than we meant. So, for example, that was a little change where we simplified things that didn't quite, it it added some baggage that we didn't mean for an ad. Um, chopping down the, the number of cards just meant there's a little bit less flavor. You know, artifacts, enchantments, sorceries are a little bit more flavor. Even the land is a little more flavor. Like, resource. Like, we had to name them because we, we wanted to make sure that whatever IP we had, we could work with. So we went a little more generic. So a resource means a little bit less than a land. Um, and, like, action and combat meant a little less than, like, sorcery. You know, there, there are more grandiose words we got to use in magic. And, and there's a little more flavor. The fact that it was a deck in the discard pile instead of a library in the graveyard. There, there's some flavor loss. Um, and just, there was depth loss. That, that You know, that one of the things that we've learned about magic is one of the attractiveness things to it is that you see... Like, I think early on we had this belief that we would scare people away. If we weren't simple, we would scare people away. But what we realized is that you want... When players are learning something, that a little bit of danger is actually a good thing. That you want people to sort of... You want people to feel that they understand what they're doing, but you want a little sense of there's more there. That they're not doing everything. That being a little... having a, Being a little bit beyond you is not as scary. Like, if you look into the, the learning about how kids learn, which, I mean, it's how humans learn, um, and that one of the things that's important, and, and not like I've talked about this, that part of fun is overcoming obstacles and that when you have a game, you want the game to be a little bit scary because you want the person early on to go, Oh, that scared me but I figured out how to deal with it and that a little bit of, of intimidation is actually good when you're learning a game because you want the player to to see that they can have some control and overcome things. Um, also the I mean it's just an example of everything we did to make things simpler, we kind of chopped down some of what made magic magic. Uh, like, the lack of power and toughness as being distinct things just made a lot less variety. Everything's a 1-1 one, one or a 2-2 two, two or a 3-3. Three, three. It's just, it's harder to have any subtlety there. Like, for example, there's no bouncing in the game. Like, if I attack and you block, either one of three things happen. Either I'm bigger than you and I kill you outright. Your... Um, bigger than me and you kill me or we're the same size and we kill each other. There's never we don't kill each other. And magic, I'm mean, i not saying you want tons of that in magic but some of that is good. And just, just some of the variety, just of the, you know, chopping down to just a single number just meant it was a lot more narrow what we could do. Now that said, I actually think, by the way, the gameplay of the game, there's a lot of good gameplay. I'm picking on some stuff right now to talk about some of the failures. Uh, It wasn't... I don't want to make it sound like, oh, the game just was horrible to play. It was fun. Um, It is amazing, by the way, how much when you boiled on magic to really, really simple things, how it is still fun. That magic at its core is a fun game. But I think stripping it out did not help. Okay, the next big mistake is... well, what were, what were the licenses? Like, part of what we needed to do was we needed to get people, we needed to build up a base and get people excited and get people playing so much so that other IPs came to us and said, hey, I want to be part of your system. Or, we could go to other IPs and they go, oh, that looks, that's a robust thing. We want to be part of that. Because what would make the ARC system amazing is, you know, imagine once there's a point where there's just like 20, 30 IPs and, you know, oh, wow, you know, I could play My Little Pony, or I could play, and you know, just name your IP. And that you could go from kids' IPs to adult IPs all across the board, and that you could have silly goofies. You could have The Simpsons, or you could go to something really serious, very niche-y. Maybe you know, some, you know, uh, Dawn of the Dead or some zombie thing. or you, know, you you could go, you could, the idea was a brilliant idea, which is whatever I care about, whatever genre I care about, whatever property I care about, I get into trading card game with that. That idea was wonderful. But, okay, first we start with C23, which is a project that nobody knew. Nobody knew. Um, The cards looked nice. We'll get to the problem with Zian Hercules in a second. The cards looked nice in that we had illustrations and original illustrations, and we could go to Jim uh, Lynn—not Jim Lynn, sorry. Jim Lynn worked on on that. Jim Lee, uh, the guy who's creating it, and say to him, okay, can you make sure certain things exist so that we can get characters, you know, that— the nice thing about C23 is we at least could get good visual images. Um, the downside was it didn't resonate because no, it didn't mean anything to anybody. Yes, Magic had started with its own IP. Um, oh, that was another problem, by the way, is the fact that we were working to existing IPs really made it a lot harder. One of the things we've learned is design is nowhere near as flexible as creative. That Magic has this flexibility of saying, "Okay, we need to do this thing mechanically." Okay creative team, let's explain why this is so, and that Magic's been able to sort of make its IP match what it needs for the game, and that's been very helpful. Um, okay, so C23, nobody knew. Xena and Hercules, a couple problems. First off, they were never really big IPs. I think the people who acquired them from Wizards were fans, and said, wow, I'm so excited, this thing I love we're doing. But nobody really stood back and said, okay, how big an audience does Xena have, Xena and Hercules, and You know, how much is this audience different from our core audience? You know, because we have a very geeky audience in in the core of Magic, especially back in 1998. How much overlap was there? Were we picking IP that would get people that would never come to a trading card game? Or were we doing a lot of overlap? Um, The second thing is, we picked two shows that were, one was a spin-off of the other. They were the same genre. They were both fantasy like, at least C23 was science fiction but nobody knew it so the two ones we did that you knew they were A, related meaning not that there were people that might like one that didn't like the other but pretty much if you liked one of the shows same genre, same tone a lot, you know, overlapping characters you know, Greek mythology and they were very, very similar and so we kind of picked two IPs we kind of we didn't really pick two IPs we picked one IP and split it into two which is, you know, what the show had done. So, like, we weren't really appealing to a larger audience. Like, either you liked one show or you liked, you know... Not a lot of people were going to like one and not the other. I mean, one... People might prefer one to the other, but it wasn't like, oh, well, I wasn't attracted to one show, but I really attracted to the other. There wasn't that division. Um, so we picked an IP that was kind of old or, or, I mean, not at its peak. And we picked two shows that essentially were the same audience, you know, same genres, same audience. And so... And the last other one, the one, the, the one that wasn't that genre, nobody knew. And so we really didn't come out of the gate. We just didn't come out of the gate with something that's going to say, hey, look at the, the wealth of things we could do. On top of that, one of the other problems, and, and maybe this is inherent in doing um, licensed things, was we were really limited in, on our visuals for both Xena and Hercules. So it was all screen grabs. And because we were so limited in things, we were trying to make mechanics work, there was a lot of like, okay, what could this be? Okay, I guess it's this guy in the back of that picture. So, like, we take a screen grabber, like, the front was, you know, Zine and Gabrielle. I don't know, doing something. And the background was some guy. And, like, that guy was the picture. But it was grainy, because so we had to zoom in. So the, the visuals were never particularly grabbing either. Like, one thing about magic is, wow, you look at magic art, and you're just pulled in. We didn't have that either. So we weren't—and we, we like I said, we just weren't firing at all cylinders. The game depth wasn't nearly what magic had, the resonant wasn't what magic had, the visuals wasn't what magic had. Like you take all of magic's strengths and you take a, so many of them away. Um and then combine that with, like I said, with the idea that really the audiences needed to go to, we weren't even p- putting in front of them that most of this got sold in the hobby stores, into our you know, our the, the audience that we knew, that the stores that we worked with, and they did something with it. I mean they understood. They understood the value of magic, and so they definitely were trying to find people that maybe wouldn't play magic and use it as a tool to help them, but it just never quite got to the audience it wanted. And so, I mean, for all these different reasons, I mean, the ARC system, like I said, in concept, it it really is a neat idea. Like, I remember when I first heard about it, it sounded great. Um, But the problem was that you just need to get there. That Like, it, it kind of needed to prove itself and then get to a certain saturation point, and that... It couldn't just be three IPs. It needed to be 15, 20, 25 IPs. I don't know. We didn't... So, anyway, the ARC system came out with a... I mean, with a splat. It didn't... It never, ever took off. I mean, I think the reason we made expansion for one thing was we'd already made it, and we're like, okay, maybe we can... You know, there's not interest. Maybe we can drum up interest, but... um, And there's... I mean, I'm not saying there's zero interest. There's a little bit of interest. And there was more people who either already were playing trading card games or... People who were adjacent to those people, or they, people who played but couldn't get their friends to play, so tried to introduce what they thought was simpler, but it just never really took off for many, many reasons. Now, the one thing that I do want to point out when I talk about failures is one of the reasons that Magic is so successful, I believe, is we've tried a lot of things. I mean, as I, as I, this podcast, Magic's 22 years old. We've tried a lot of things. We succeeded in some, we failed in others, but we've learned from it. Um, And so one day I'll do a podcast on Portal, which was the next attempt we did at trying to teach people how to play. Um, Now, Portal would make its own mistakes, but it learned a lot from the mistakes made from the ARC system. Um, And so looking back, I mean, I I think it was... It was a noble experiment. I'm not in any way unhappy we tried it. I think we made mistakes with it, but it made a lot of sense to do. It's not like I wouldn't have tried it had it go back. I guess I would do things differently differently. but anyway, it was definitely, it was, it was really neat. Oh, by the way, just for a little bit of trivia for those who want to know. Um, we, it was sold in booster packs of 12 cards and starter decks of 40 cards. I think the starter decks were kind of like pre-constructed decks, if I remember correctly. Meaning, we sort of steered, like, they were made so you could play them out of the box. In fact, it's an interesting thing. Um, that pre-existed um, constructed deck, or not, pre-constructed decks in Magic. So, I think that, um... There are definitely, like, there's things that we tried and learn in even this product, even a failure of a product, that would later we would later sort of try again in Magic to more success. I'm just trying to think of any, any big lessons here as a as wrap-up of this. Um, I think, like, well, we, we learned a lot about doing trading card games in general. I mean, Magic, uh, Wizards would go on and make a lot of other trading card games. We learned a lot about trading card games. Um, And some of it got applied to Magic. A lot of it really didn't affect Magic because it was simplified versions. A lot of the problems were the simplified versions. Um, But I I do think we played around with stuff and learned some things. I think we learned a lot about teaching people that um, we had a lot of data from sort of people learning with the Arc system and the the successes and failures of it. So that helped us. That really didn't form the next product we made, which was Portal. Um, uh, It made us understand the need. I, I think that this product, more than any other product kicked us in the butt and made us say look we got a better we have to get a better relationship with mass marketing I think it's one of the things that really got us to pursue mass marketing more um we also later in the year we were by Hasbro which would help eventually um as far as distribution stuff and mass marketing things like that just having a giant company helps, helps a lot um but anyway, I, it was it was an important little history. The, the reason I want to talk about stuff like this about things that, like, literally, I'll bet you when I started this podcast that a good good chunk of my audience, the majority of it at least, had never ever heard of this, just because it's from so long ago. It's from '98, right? We're talking 17 years ago. Um, but it is an important lesson of a lot of magic's history, as us trying things, and some were successes, and I'll talk about those. But some were failures, and those were important a big part of our history and how we grew and, and how magic became what it became and how wizards became what it became. So, anyway, that's why I wanted to share with you the ARC system. But, I'm in my parking space. So, we all know what that means. It means this is the end of my drive to work. So, instead of talking magic and the ARC system, it's time for me to be making magic. Talk to you guys next time.